Okay. <clears throat> the hour is uh, is very late. I think this year was officially supposed to start at 10:25 on the original schedule. So Baruch Hashem, we're running on NCSY time. So, a couple of months ago, I was invited to have dinner with uh, David Cutler, who of course runs NCSY Summer. So we went to the Sheridan Hotel, they have an amazing dinner there. We're sitting and talking, and I asked him, what does BILT stand for? <laughs> I know what my benefit said tonight, NCSY doesn't stand for anything, but I assume that BILT stands for something. So I don't even remember the answer he told me, but it stands for something leadership training. Boys Israel Leadership Training. It's a big avoda of how to name a program. No, like how do you name the program? So I said, what, what does that mean? Like tachlis, what, what does that mean? It's a leadership training program. So without answering the question of what built is, he said to me an, a very interesting thing, and it, it struck me very, very deeply. He said, we talk about leadership all the time and we have no idea what it means. It's just a buzzword that we throw around and we say we're gonna create leaders, we're gonna create leaders, we're gonna do this for leadership. And we have no idea what the word leadership means. So I started to think about that because if you think about NCSY Summer, it's a crazy thing that we don't have a real hagdara, a real definition of what leadership is because every single person in this room, and I think that's really the power of this Shabbos, every single person in this room is a leader. And that's what you're going to do. You're going to lead. So then the question is, if you don't know what it is, or if you don't know how to do it, so then, tachlis, what are we doing? So you're going to show up, and you're going you're to sit with somebody, you're going to schmooze with somebody, but if, if you're not really empowered to be a leader because nobody ever explained to you what it is, so then you're going to miss something. And I think we make a very big mistake because we think, like we look at Rabbi Benevitz, and we look at Rabbi Cutler, and we look at Rabbi Bashevkin and all the amazing people that are going to be here this Shabbos, of Judah, and then we think to ourselves, like, oh, that's, that's leadership, because they're leading hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people, so that's leadership. But this isn't leadership. Leadership isn't sitting with two NCSYers and sitting and talking. That's not leadership. That's just being a good advisor, but that's wrong. Every single one of us is a leader. If you understand truly what the definition of a leader is, so then it becomes obvious to you that every single one of you is going to be a leader this summer. So tachlis, what, do we, what does it mean? So I want to share with you, I know the hour is late, I want to share with you just what I feel is a very beautiful idea. Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock. In fact, he hit the rock twice. And because of this, Moshe Rabbeinu's punishment is that he's not allowed to go into Eretz Yisrael with Kal Yisrael. And so there's like, just a tremendous amount of questions, we're going to go through them very quickly, on what exactly was going on over there. First of all, let's talk a very Pasha question first. Moshe Rabbeinu had what's called Aspaklaria Meira, the Gemara says. What does Aspaklaria Meira mean? It means he had perfect clarity of vision. So when Lamashal, a regular Navi, would get a Nevuah from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it comes through the lens of the ego. And so the way we see the world is always through the lens of our own ego, right? Isn't that true? That we, you ever have a conversation with somebody where you're having a totally different conversation than the other person? Because you have your own ego, you have your own bias, so you're coming into the conversation. There's an amazing key in Peel skit about this. WhatsApp. You ever see it? Don't admit it. I know you've seen it. It doesn't matter. The, uh, if I've seen it, you've seen it. 
It's two people having a WhatsApp conversation, and because it's on WhatsApp, so each person can read it the way they want to read it. Everything in the world is coming through the lens of our own ego and our own bias. Moshe Rabbeinu had aspaklaria me'ira. He gave the Torah because he had no bias. So if Moshe Rabbeinu had no bias, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells, tells him, speak to the rock and it will give out water, how could Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock? That's the first question. The second question, why did he have to hit it twice? Manushach, if it's going to work, which we're going to get to in a second, if it's going to work, so then why do you have to hit it twice? Hit it the first time, and then already it should come out. Not only that, but if it's a miracle, so then it seems like it does work, no? HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him, speak to the rock. Moshe Rabbeinu hits the rock, he hits it twice. Water comes out of the rock. If Moshe Rabbeinu is doing the wrong thing, then no water should have come out. There should, the miracle should never have occurred. And even if the miracle is going to occur, that now water is going to come out of the rock. So why such a severe punishment? Is it, we don't, I don't think we understand, and we really should take a second just to digest this. Do we really understand what it meant to Moshe Rabbeinu to come into Eretz Yisrael with Klal Yisrael and to lead them? That's something that HaKadosh Baruch Hu took away from him. That's a huge deal. So what does it mean that Moshe Rabbeinu, he, he hit the rock, he should have spoken to the rock, he hit the rock twice. If it wasn't supposed to work, why did it work? And if it worked, why such a severe punishment? There's an unbelievable medrash, medrash in Yalkut Shemoni. And the medrash says, in order to understand this story, you need to go back 40 years earlier to an episode that looks kimat exactly the same. Klal Yisrael comes out of Mitzrayim, immediately they're confronted with the fact that they don't have water. And this time HaKadosh Baruch Hu commands Moshe Rabbeinu to do what? Hit the rock. So the Medrash right away is contrasting. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock 40 years later? Because 40 years earlier, what did HaKadosh Baruch Hu tell him to do? HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him to hit the rock. You hit the rock, so I hit the rock. But still, we're not there yet. Because 40 years earlier, HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him to hit the rock. 40 years later, HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him to speak to the rock. So the Medrash says, an unbelievable Yesod in Chinuch. There is a time in Chinuch that sometimes you need to hit. I'm not speaking physically here. Sometimes we have an approach of hitting, and it's appropriate, especially when somebody's younger. And sometimes you have an approach of speaking. And Moshe Rabbeinu, the mistake that he made is that he conflated what he was supposed to do 40 years earlier, what he did 40 years earlier, with what he was meant to do 40 years later. So I want to take a second and I want to just spell this out because it's a very important nakuda. There's two types of leadership. The first type of leadership is what I'm going to call authoritative, not to be confused with authoritarian. Authoritarian is like Stalin. Right? It's a terrible thing. But authoritative chinuch makes a lot of sense in the right context with the right people. So what does authoritative chinuch look like? When your little child does something dangerous, it is not a smart idea. When I say little, I mean really little. It's not a smart idea to sit down and try to explain to them why this is a bad idea. Because it's not something they necessarily understand. You don't have to have a dialogue with your three-year-old about why crossing the street without an ima or an abba is a bad idea. You just say like this. You say, you never cross the street without an ima or an abba. It's very dangerous. You don't have to start telling them because you're going to get hit by a car and then you're going to, you know, your whole body is going to be like exploded. You don't need to have that conversation with your three-year-old. 
It'll give them nightmares. But at the same time, you don't have to have, you, if your kid says, no, but I think I can handle it, what's the response? It's very dangerous to cross a street without an ima or an abba. That's it. But then there's another side of leadership, and that's called communication. Very often, what I hear, especially from 18-year-old young men in yeshiva, is they're complaining, rightfully, that at 14, 15, and 16 years old, maybe even at 17 years old, they were getting the same chinuch that they got when they were 6 and 7 years old. But I'll tell you how it sounds. They don't express it that way. This is the way they say it. I want to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't just want to be taught what to do. I want to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. What's the value of saying that? The value of saying that, they're saying, for so long I've had an authoritative chinuch. And what I wanted was to be in a dialogue. I wanted to be in a communication. I wanted to have a voice. I wanted to be able to object and to understand why my objections were wrong. I wanted to feel like I was in a conversation with someone that's listening. And I didn't have that. So I'll never forget, in 10th grade, I was in a particular shir. It doesn't matter who the Rebbe was. He's a wonderful person. I think, in this case, he may have made a chinuch mistake. And I had done something wrong. I was talking during davening. It's not the right thing to do. So the Rebbe decided that the best chinuch approach for me in that time was he pulled the Shulchan Aruch off the shelves and he sat down with me and he said to me, you know, it's usher to talk in davening. I want to show you the halacha. So I looked at him and I said, you don't think I know that it's wrong to talk during davening? The problem is not that I don't know right from wrong. The problem is I don't care. So you're sitting here showing the Shulchan Aruch. It doesn't matter if it's black on white in the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch is not interesting to me right now. What you should be having, and this was what I told him even in 10th grade, he thought I was being a mechutzaf, and I was, but I was trying to make my point to him. You're sitting here and telling me, this is wrong. I know it's wrong, but tell me why I should care that it's wrong. Have a deeper conversation, one that he was unwilling to have. The approach that he was taking with the 10th grader was authoritative. The approach he should have taken, in my opinion, was communicative. Tell me why what's happening is wrong. These are the two approaches that are constantly confronting us whenever we're being mashpia on anybody. Whenever we're having a conversation about leadership, what we're really talking about is influence. See, what happens is if you start to look at the research, and I I encourage you not to because it's a waste of time. Whenever you start to look at the research where they talk about leadership, they always focus on motivation. And motivation is, that's, that's management speak. That has nothing to do with leadership. It's not a question of motivation, it's a question of influence. And what influence means, and this is really important, what influence means is that I'm sharing with you an ethic that I think can change your life. And, and I want to have that communication with you because when I give it to you, right, and we, and we discuss it and we battle it out and we go through the whole process together of really understanding it, not only am I the leader going to be changed because I've, I've had the opportunity to give this over and I've had the opportunity to learn from that person and be influenced in turn, but also you're going to be a better person for having this. And that's an amazing gift that you can give to people. And when you think in your own lives, and think back, take a second, do it now. Think about the people in your life that had the greatest impact on you. What was it? It was the influence that they had, not necessarily the words that they said only, but the type of person that they were. And when they say to you, like, this is important. If you respect who they are deeply, what does that do to you? It changes you. It's like, okay, well, wait a second, right? Like, that's the type of person I look up to. That's the type of person I want to be like. So 
So if they think something, it's worth listening. And then as you listen to it, it changes you. And that's an amazing gift. And every one of you has the opportunity to give that this summer. But you have to know who you're speaking to. You have to know what exactly do they need. Do they need authority or do they need communication? And you're always going to have this challenge. Take, for example, a young man in NCSY Colo who doesn't want to wake up in the morning. It happens. Every once in a while, I don't know if you can remember. It happens every once in a while that a guy doesn't want to get up in the morning. He doesn't want to go to, he doesn't want to, go to Minion. Are you speaking to some TJJ kid and there's some like blockage there? And so your natural gisha will be like, you have to do it because everybody's doing it. Right? And there's, there's an authority that you're saying there. You're like, everybody's doing this now and we need you to participate as part of the group. And there is a space for that. But if it remains there and it doesn't mature and it doesn't progress, You've lost something. You've lost a tremendous opportunity to share. When we think about Moshe Rabbeinu, instead of thinking about Moshe Rabbeinu, let's think about who Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to influence. And that by itself is going to change our entire attitude. See, in leadership speak, if you go online and you start looking at leadership, all they talk about is the leader. But in Yiddishkeit, actually what we focus on are the followers. We focus on the Talmidim and Talmidot. That's where we're focusing. So let's look at Moshe Rabbeinu's relationship with Klal Yisrael. Let's start at the beginning. He's, he's a Mitzri himself. That's who he is. He's grown up in the palace. The Torah describes him as a Mitzri. Yosef HaTzadik was always called an Ivri. But Moshe Rabbeinu was a Mitzri. And he left Paro's palace, and what does he do? He goes out, he goes, he's one of them. You understand? When they leave Mitzrayim, it's not just Klal Yisrael is leaving Mitzrayim. It's Moshe Rabbeinu is Betoich Amcha. He's leaving. He's saying, we're all being, we're leaving together. That, these, they were his. Moshe Rabbeinu was the same one that said, Erase me from the Sefer Torah if you're going to destroy these people. What does that mean? Moshe Rabbeinu is saying something unbelievable. He's saying, I'm with them. If they did Naveira and you're not willing to forgive them, don't start over again with me. I'm with them. That's the type of leader Moshe Rabbeinu was. But they had a slave mentality. And a slave mentality means you have no das of your own. It's like a little child. We don't appreciate the psychology of what Klal Yisrael was going through when they left Mitzrayim. Stop and think for a second. You were enslaved for 210 years. So you were a 10-year-old coming out of Mitzrayim. So you say, I'm only 10. No, you grew up with it. I was talking to Yonatan Glixman earlier tonight, and he was telling me, the world has changed. A year ago, if NCSY would call up the local police department and say, we'd like to hire policemen to come stand guard at our doors while we run an event at an arcade, the police force would say, why do you need that? And now, after the Pittsburgh Tree of Life shooting and after the Chabad of Poway, if he calls up and he says, we have a Shabbaton in the middle of Yehupitzville for $25 an hour, the cops are going to sit there and it's a double portion. Why? Because the world has changed. And what I'm wondering is, what's the long-term impact of that? Not the impact in five years from now or in 10 years from now. What's the long-term impact of being, forget a Jew for a second, because even Muslims and Christians have to deal with this. What's the long-term impact of a generation that grows up with armed guards standing at the door of places of worship? How is that going to impact our psyche? Because it's not one generation, it's one generation, and how that generation impacts the next generation. 
So you can imagine what it was like to be a 10-year-old growing up in Mitzrayim. What did you know as a 10-year-old growing up in Mitzrayim? You knew one thing. I'm a slave. My father's a slave. My grandfather's a slave. My great-grandfather was a slave. 210 years. We've been here forever. Slave mentality. Slave mentality. They come out into the desert. They say, what am I Shabbatim? We're going to die. We need water. So my Shabbatim hits the rock. Why does Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock? Because that's what was appropriate for them. They were ke'ilu like they were little kids. What they needed was an authority. Hit the rock. It was, it was a chinuch lesson. You've you got to hit the rock and something miraculous will come out. There'll be water. HaKadosh Baruch will, be, will provide for us. The amazing thing is if you look at the psukim and you're sensitive, and you have to read the psukim with a sensitive ear, if you look at the psukim from the original time that Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock, you'll notice HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him, hit the rock. With which staff? The staff from the Ya'ar. The same staff that you punished the Mitzrayim with. Because it was a staff that was defined by the Gaulus of Mitzrayim. So the entire idea was to take them out of the Gaulus of Mitzrayim. That was the leadership they required. How many times does my Shabbatim need to hit the rock? Once. If it's the authority approach and it's appropriate, you only need to say it once. If you have to say it twice, you've already lost your authority. That's why if you start to yell at a little kid, and the little kid is standing there defiantly, what do you have to do? You have to ratchet it up. You have to ratchet up the volume because it's not working. So Moshe Rabbeinu, when it was appropriate, how many times does he have to hit the rock? Once. With which staff? With the staff of the Gullus of Mitzrayim. That's who he was speaking to. But 40 years later, Moshe Rabbeinu made a mistake. Now I want to be very careful here. When we say Moshe Rabbeinu made a mistake, we have no idea who Moshe Rabbeinu was. When Moshe Rabbeinu makes a mistake, that's a lesson for us to learn. But for us, that would be like the greatest act of tzidkos. But Moshe Rabbeinu did make a mistake here. The Rebbe Rashab explains. Forty years earlier, they were an enslaved generation. Forty years later, they were born in the Midbar. The mistake that Moshe Rabbeinu made is that he didn't realize they had grown up. He didn't realize they weren't the same people. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him to, hit the, to speak to the rock, he refers to Moshe Rabbeinu's staff, but this time he doesn't refer to it as the staff of the Ya'ar. It's just Moshe Rabbeinu's staff. And he says, speak, communicate. That's what they need. The Rebbe Rashab points out that there's two words for a rock in Lashon HaKadosh. What are the two words for a rock? Sur and Selah. Sur means a rock that has no water, no condensation inside the rock. Selah is a word that means there's condensation inside the rock already. Forty years earlier, the Torah refers to it as a tzur. Forty years later, it's a sela. And if you spell out the word sela, samach lamed, I'm sorry, if you spell out the word sela, yeah, so samach is spelled out samach mem, right, the middle letter is mem, lamed, the middle letter is mem, and I in the middle letter is yud. So what does it spell out? It spells out mayim. Sela has mayim inside of it. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu was saying, they're not the same people, Moshe Rabbeinu. They're not the same people. You know they're not the same people. There's water inside of them. It's not going to be the same type of miracle. You don't need to hit them to get the water out. You just need to speak to them and it'll come out naturally. But I want to suggest what I believe is a beautiful chiddush. If you look at the Pesukim 40 years earlier, Moshe Rabbeinu comes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and he says, if I don't give them water, ma'at, a little bit longer, and they're going to give me skila, they're going to stone me to death. Forty years later, Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't say that to Hashem. 
He's frustrated with them. But he doesn't say they're going to kill me. You know why? Because even Moshe Rabbeinu didn't realize. He didn't pick up on it. Even sometimes the words that come out of our mouth, we don't even realize what we're saying and how true it is. Forty years earlier, Moshe Rabbeinu said, they're an enslaved generation. They're going to kill me. Forty years later, Moshe Rabbeinu says, they're, just, they're, they're out of control. But he himself is no longer in danger. They're not the same people. Dalif name miatau made. That's the number one thing you need. You're talking to somebody. Who are you talking to? Leadership is about the person you're talking to. It's not about you. And to the degree that it is about you, is the degree that you won't be successful. If it's about you, I guarantee you you'll fail. Think back to the people in your life that influenced you. You knew their gaiva better than they knew their gaiva. And if they were pure people, and if they were people that were like working on themselves and authentic, integrity-driven people, do you remember how you were attracted to them? It wasn't because they were great speakers. It, it was because they were great listeners. It's because they authentically cared about you. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu, it's not a punishment. It's not a punishment. You can't be the one to take them into Eretz Yisrael. Why? Because you see them as they always were. And you don't necessarily see them as they are now. You have to let them grow up. You have to recognize that they've grown up. They say a Maisa, that the Vilna Goin applied to be the Rava Vilna, and he was rejected for the job. The Vilna Goin, you know, today everyone says he's a genius. Like we throw out the term genius like it's nothing. The Vilna Goin was an actual genius. How could he have been turned down for the job? So the story goes that the elders of Vilna explained to the Vilna Gain, you have to understand, we saw you when you were a little kid. It's hard. It's hard when you see somebody growing up as a little kid, as a five-year-old, as a six-year-old, as a seven-year-old, running around the neighborhood. It's hard to then be Makabal, that same person, as your Rebbe. So they couldn't give him the job. But what a chaval, what a terrible waste. You had the Vilna Gain, and you didn't make him your Rav. Why? Because you couldn't mature enough to see him differently. I'll tell you a true story, a failure of my, of my own. In yeshiva one year, there was a boy in yeshiva, and like many boys, came to yeshiva. He was a good guy, solid citizen, but sometimes boys make mistakes. It happens. So in the beginning of the year, he made a mistake. He got in trouble. But say there, everyone moved on. He got in trouble. The kid, having a great year, Davening, he's learning, he's doing great. Bino Chazal tell us that whenever a person does an Aveir, it's a Ruach Shtos, a crazy thing. One night he made a bad mistake. It was like February. So I had to call him in, that's my job. I had to call him in, you can't do that. I said something, it came out of my mouth, I'm embarrassed, Adayem that it came out of my mouth. I said to him, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm just surprised we're having this conversation. Like, I thought you had changed. And then I saw the look on his face as soon as I said those words. I crushed him. I crushed him with those words. What a terrible thing for a Rebbe to say to a Talmud. I crushed him. He had changed. He made a mistake. The fact that I said that in a certain way, it meant I didn't really believe that he had changed. Because if I really believed he had changed, I, would, I never would have said it. I never would have said it. You know, it's usher to remind the person of their previous averas. There's an isr. People do it all the time. Especially when, when Rabbanim become like chashuv. 
there's always that one guy that like grew up with him. They're like, oh yeah, I remember him when he used to like go to town every Thursday night and like, like thanks for telling everyone, you know, like there's like a, some, there's like some gishmak that people get. I don't really understand what it is, but there's a gishmak that people get of calling rabbis by their former English names. You it, like we, it's a strange thing, right? Jews have certain things that are just very strange, like things that are very gishmak to us that are very strange. I don't know if in the Gentile world they have these things. Like, do you know how much pleasure people get out of correcting a balkore? <laughs> it's like the sickest pleasure in the world, no? It's Vayomer. Oh, thanks. You know, like, I'll tell you a true story, Rabbi Bender. This is not much a true story. Rabbi Bender, Rashiva of Darchitara. There was a boy who was laning his bar mitzvah parsha and doing a terrible job. You ever, you ever go to those bar mitzvahs where the kid is like, and it's not his fault, he's 13, he's like, you know, barely this high, his voice is cracking every other second. He's in front of like, uh, you know, 500 people, his parents have been pressuring, you have to, like, you have to know the parsha perfectly. He gets up there, it's just terrible. And then you have this group of people that are just like chomping at the bit, because they're very from. They're chomping at the bit to destroy this child, right? And it's like, every mistake, there's a gabai there for a reason. Every mistake, we're jumping all over, we're going to kill the kid. Rabbi Bender was there at this darche kid's bar mitzvah, and he's sitting and laning, and he's, and he's getting destroyed. And Rabbi Bender is becoming more agitated. Every single time they correct him, he's becoming more agitated and more agitated and more agitated. And finally, Rabbi Bender just calls out. The next time he made a mistake and everyone corrected, Rabbi Bender screams out, Kill him! And everyone like got silent. He goes, Murder him! He's doing a terrible job! Murder him! And like everyone's like dead silent. And he goes, Why? You think what you're doing is any different? There's some sick schmack that people get from correcting a Balkore. There's a sickish schmack that people get. Like, you know, his name used to be Matt. I knew him when he was mad. Thanks. You know, like, what, what is that? You know what it is? We don't let people change. You know, it's very possible that this summer you're going to be with them for a month or six weeks in some cases. It's quite possible that the person you meet on day one is fundamentally going to be a different person six weeks later. And you know the best chance that they have of doing that? If you'll be open to the change. If you'll look at them and you'll say, just because this is who you are right now doesn't mean that is who you have to be. And then you'll allow them to become whatever version of themselves that is that they want to be, more passionate about their Judaism, hopefully, perhaps more observant, more connected, more learned, more inspired, whatever the word is, whatever it is that they want, if it happens, it'll be because you didn't box them in. Because you didn't say, this is who you are. This is the avoda that happens on interviewing. You go on an interview. I have to do this regularly for yeshiva. Some of you have had to sit through interviews with me. And you hear the same ridiculous answers every single year. You sit down with a young man and you say, so why do you want to come to Israel? And they all answer, well, right now I don't want to learn but I want to want to learn. I don't know if I want to want to, but I want to want to want to, right? Everybody has their version of that answer. I feel like I really want to grow. Does anybody know what that word means when they're 17 years old? I know it means one thing for the seminary girls. I know it means a different thing for the yeshiva guys. I'm not making, I wasn't making any comments. I'm just saying, if you know what I'm saying, I'm not saying, if you know what I'm saying, I'm just saying. It means something different and I know it means something different, right? But you're sitting there with a the kid, and what you're really doing is you have like whatever it is, the 25, 30 minutes that you're sitting with that kid to ask yourself one fundamental question. Is this kid going to do it? 
and then you have to ask yourself okay well will I have the capacity to work with this kid to allow him to go on that journey will he himself have the capacity to do that it's an incredible thing Rabbi Benavid said to me and we'll close with this it's an incredible thing when you think about Klal Yisrael in a certain way, it's very easy to give up hope. When you speak to a cynic, and they talk about Klai Yisrael, it's very easy to give up hope. How many Jews in the world already? 12 million Jews in the world? It's not that many of us. And how many of us are really dedicating our lives to serving Hashem? It's a fraction of a fraction. And then you think about even within the Orthodox community of people that are dedicating their lives to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how many people are actually doing it and the challenges that we have with today's youth. And then you come to a Shabbaton, like this one. And you look out, and I, I think over Shabbos they said there's come out 600 people here for Shabbos. That's 600 people. 600 people is a lot of people. 600 leaders. 600 people that are dedicating, if not their lives, at least this summer, to thinking about how they're going to be leading other Jews to get closer to Hashem. That is an unbelievable thing. This is my first time. I usually do this one in, in Israel for NCSY Kol. I've never flown into America for this Shabbos before. It's my first time. And I, I'll be honest with you, I was a little overwhelmed. The last time I was in this hotel, I've been in this hotel, the, first, the last time I was in this hotel was for a wedding, but the time before that was in 1997 for winter regional of my senior year. It was a different Shabbos, for, different Shabbos experience for me then, my senior year. I don't have to go into details, but we didn't have an advisor in our room. There was an oversight, and we didn't have an advisor in our room. Fine, but say this. I come back to the hotel, and it's whatever it is, 20-some-odd years later, and I'm, I, I arrived this morning, and, and we come in, and I'm at the front desk, and I remember the way the hotel looked, and I'm like, it's crazy to be back here in such a different headspace. And then I was sitting and watching. I was just sitting and watching. All of you guys, just walking through the lobby over there. Everyone's hanging out with each other and everybody's talking to each other and there's a feeling of excitement in the room and then you're breaking up and you're going with your different programs and I'm just like sitting there, I'm like, this is incredible. This is really incredible. And I really understood for the first time what Rabbi Benevitz meant when he said to me earlier today, the future of Klai Yisrael is very bright. Why? Because we know not what it is, but we know what it could be. And we're putting ourselves out there with tremendous dedication. My bracha to all of us this summer. And I, I Be'ezer Hashem, I'm, I'm hopefully going to see you. This year my role has been a little expanded, so I'm going to be in NCSY Kohl at night. But I'm, I'm officially there to speak to any bus that will have me, to any of the TJJ buses, or Give, or Ice, or Built, or Jolt. Or, it's amazing, all the, all the programs, right? It's really amazing. So I'm going to, hopefully Be'ezer Hashem, I'm going to see you. I want to give a bracha to all of us that we have the capacity to see these kids for who they are. Not just for the way that they act, but for who they really are. To give them that space of compassion and kindness, of gentleness, to be able to let them discover who they are and then to go along with them for the ride. Don't peg them. Don't go on day one and go, oh, that kid, I, I, I know it right away. I know that kid. You always see that, by the way, in yeshivas. On the first day, you always have certain rebellion. They're standing off to the side and they're like making calls. Making calls. It's like, a, it's like a, like I'll put, I'll put 20 bucks down. That kid is the kid that gets in trouble in the first two weeks. 
So you managed to figure out who it was going to be. But that's, there's something really deviant about that. There's something really perverse about that. Let them figure out who they are. Maybe they'll make mistakes along the way, but so what? Those mistakes will also be part of a process. And Bezer Hashem, true leadership, means the capacity in a certain way to follow their lead, to learn from them as much as we're teaching them, to learn from them. And in that way, all of them is